You're listening to episode 116 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. One of the first pastors I had the privilege of working with was Dr. Jim Bradford. By training, he was actually an aerospace engineer, but through God's leading, became pastor of a campus ministry, then a church, and then found his way to Springfield, Missouri, where I had the opportunity of working with him for a short period of time. I've always continued to think of him as a pastor, and I've always deeply respected his wisdom and his insight, particularly around this topic of spiritual leadership. I've had the opportunity to help him launch his own podcast and to do some of the interviewing on that show. And so what I thought I'd do today is take one of our conversations from that podcast and offer it to you. I know it'll be applicable to you and as helpful to you as it has been to me. As always, thanks for listening. Well, uh, Pastor Jim, it's good to be back on the podcast with you. Another conversation today. Thank you, Chase. I always enjoy being able to just sit and interact with you. It's really a privilege. You've been a good friend for many years. Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks. Well, uh, most people uh, well, around here, my background with you has been as a pastor. I always sort mm-hmm. of still call you Pastor Jim, having served with you, and you've been my pastor. But uh, a lot of people know you from your time serving as the General Secretary of the Assemblies of God. Maybe uh, uh, I'd like to hear you talk maybe about how that opportunity came about and also what that transition looked like from being a pastor to taking on sort of these larger leadership responsibilities within uh, a movement like the Assemblies of God? We have a wonderful and unique situation here at Central Assembly in that we're right next door to the national headquarters for the Assemblies of God U.S. And the general superintendent 11 years ago of the Assemblies of God was Dr. George Wood, who's a longtime friend and mentor of mine. And I had, at that point, been pastoring here for over five and a half years. And uh, Dr. Wood, on his executive team, experienced uh, kind of an unexpected vacancy in the general secretary position. Being midterm between elections, it's an elected office normally, uh, he could uh, uh, look to somebody to appoint to fill the vacancy. So he came next door. Our relationship had gone back many, many years I'd followed him at the church he had pastored in Southern California. And he also had been the general secretary before being general superintendent. So he came into my office here at Central and just said, you wouldn't want to follow me again. Would you uh, have this vacancy? I really, we really need somebody. Take a couple of days to think about it. So I agonized for three days over that decision. I did, I did not want to leave being a pastor absolutely loved this congregation at Central and um, never thought I'd be back again like I am now 10 years later, but it was not an easy decision. And finally, I had a, 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 the Lord gave me a scripture um, a few days into that ordeal of praying and trying to listen to his voice. And it, that scripture passage just sort of released my heart. And at the end of it were just the words, follow me, where Jesus was saying to Peter, just follow me. And so I, I just knew that's what I was supposed to do. So um, so I resigned from Central Assembly and uh, went next door. Didn't have to move, but I went next door into a very radically different kind of role in a general secretary role. A lot more traveling, I travel half the time in that role. 
around the country and internationally. And then uh, a lot of administrative work because of all of the systems and and uh, functions that the general secretary oversees. Yeah, some of those uh, people may not be familiar with as well, too. That's not sort of an elected figurehead kind of position. Right. It comes with some real some real responsibilities that play themselves out in the lives of, of actual ministers and congregations. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what some of those leadership responsibilities were that are really quite distinct from some of the work you were doing as a pastor of a local congregation. First of all, I was sitting on a team. It was the first time I ever worked for anybody else in ministry because of how I backed into ministry as a college student. So I'd never been somebody else's youth pastor. So I was on an executive team. Uh, we're together as a team. You know, we were overseeing an, a multi, multi-million dollar organization. Uh, so I'd be at the table for a lot of decisions um, at that level. And then as a general secretary in particular, I was responsible for all of the records of all of the proceedings of of, of the General Council of the Assemblies of God. Um, so I took a lot of minutes in executive leadership team meetings, in executive press review meetings, and then I was responsible for the final sign-off on minutes for the general presbytery and general council meetings. So if you're not familiar with the Assemblies of God structure, that's just a lot of meetings at different levels of leadership, all the way from the six of us on the executive leadership team to the thousands of us uh, in a general council biannual meeting. All of those meetings need records taken of them and formalized minutes. And so that was my office to be the custodian of all of that, as well as the uh, Flower Pentecostal Heritage Center which is the largest Pentecostal archives in the world. That all came under my general oversight. The largest piece, though, that would keep me busy was the credentialing of our minister. So all of the credentialing processes, working with our 67 districts, uh, would come through the general secretary's office. And uh, we have 38,000 credential holders whose credentials we renew every year. You and I are credential holders. Uh, I filled the form out, got it in on time. Yeah, so I do have a, I have a few of my old membership cards that are signed by Jim Bradford. So uh-huh. keep those <laughs> <laughs> for what they're worth. I like my new ones that are now signed by Donna Barrett. <laughs> it was easier to come by for you. <laughs> yeah, I used to have to sign my own yeah. cards, but, but uh, um, <clears throat> the credentialing ministers uh, and unfortunately, occasionally the discipline of ministers uh, would engage my work on a daily basis with the leaders of our districts around the country. And then I was, my office also would be the office that would formally charter a church. So if you formally became an Assemblies of God church, or if you formally disbanded as a Assemblies of God church, all of that chartering work happened uh, under the general secretary's oversight. So church chartering, credentialing of ministers, records, and archives were, were the big rock pieces, as well as being on an executive team. Yeah, I know one of the ways that uh, was pretty obvious, even observing from the outside, that you sort of carried out that work of working with credentialed ministers was also trying to be a resource and encouragement. I know you were doing a lot of traveling and speaking mm-hmm. and doing a lot of district councils where you were trying to just sort of encourage pastors. Um, a piece of that during this time as you released the book, uh, Lead So That Others Can Follow. 
uh, I think what we'll do over these conversations, really for the next few weeks to come as the episodes are coming out, is maybe work through some of the material in that book. Because I think if you've not read it already, it's absolutely worth picking up. Um, I think it's a really helpful uh, sort of easy way into thinking about not just the topic of leadership, but how it impacts leadership within ministry, within a local congregation. Um uh, there's a lot these days, and you even sort of point this out at the beginning of the book, that it was not your intention to write yet another leadership book. Yeah. I'll let you sort of reflect on that in a second. But um, there is so much talk about leadership. How in your time, through these different roles, coming through sort of a, an academic PhD in, in aerospace engineering, then into a sort of a, a university church, and then a Southern California church, and then here in Springfield, Missouri, and then into this sort of very public leadership role with the Assemblies of God, how have you seen this topic of leadership and this interest in leadership evolve over the years? And what sort of brought you to a point of saying, I think that's something I want to speak to or write to? Yeah, I've seen it begin with... Uh, a general f- growing fascination a few decades ago with the subject of leadership. I backed into ministry out of being a student at the University of Minnesota basically because of a, a wave of the Holy Spirit that was sweeping the country back in the 70s. And there was a lot of emphasis on renewal, on spiritual experience, on people trying to figure out I've, I've, I've had this experience with the Holy Spirit. Do I stay in my, like my mainline church or do I change churches? I mean, there was a whole tectonic shift in the evangelical and larger Pentecostal charismatic world in the sixties and seventies. And out of that, um, you know, people started settling the large charismatic stadium events kind of died out. And then there was promise keepers for a while, but everything became pretty local church focused after that which is generally a good thing. At the same time, voices like John Maxwell, especially, and other early voices, even coming out of the corporate world, started um, started blending the best of corporate leadership practices that seem biblical with, with strategies to incorporate people into church life and teach them to be disciple makers and to reproduce churches out of the charismatic and Jesus people movements. Um, you know, you start to start to see some very large churches grow. They really began to grow. So all of a sudden you've got churches of 2000 people, which was rare when I was young. Uh, and then 10,000 people and 15,000 people. So, you know, when you've got two or more people, even two or more, you got an organization, right? And you got a system then, but the leadership systems become very, very complex when you get over 200 people. And so you started hearing all the church growth stuff uh, coming, especially out of McGavern and some of those guys at Fuller Seminary back in the 70s and what it takes to break the 200 barrier. All of this stuff sort of became a part of the religious culture, the Christian culture. And out of that sort of fell in my in my observation of it. It kind of all, it just fell out of that. All, all of these more complicated church systems, you're dealing with much larger numbers. Very popular mega church leaders are beginning to write a lot about leadership. It's a pretty intoxicating subject, actually, I think. And, and just interest started to grow. And so it really began to snowball. So for instance, the last 10 years, most of which I was general secretary, I mean, the kinds of invitations I got, 
when I was asked to speak to pastors was uh, to talk about leadership. You didn't get very many invitations to talk about spiritual formation, especially in, in the Pentecostal movement where we felt like, well, we've had that, but we also need to learn how to have proper HR policies for because now our church has 10 people on staff and and then how do you how do you lead a larger church so that everything's not hands on by one pastor like he's pastoring a group of 75 people and so these are these have been very high interest and felt need subjects so i would rarely get asked to speak on spiritual formation but i would ask be all the time to ask to speak on leadership or particular ministry skills like preaching or team building or those kind of leadership related things. Well, you often will use and use it in the book, the phrase spiritual leadership. Maybe you could unpack that decision because um, it's intentionally not throwing away the word leadership. You haven't opted for something else. There's something of leadership you're embracing there, but there's also this addition of what you label as, as spiritual leadership and what that distinction is within the context of the church's broader interest in leadership. Yeah, that's very perceptive, Chase. Uh, and I, I appreciate that question because that gets to the heart of what I think is my most primary passion right now in life. When it comes to anything beyond just pastoring a local church, for my pastor friends, I just have this passion that we hardwire our spirituality into our leadership again. I actually was getting tired of talking about leadership all the time. It, it just, and I worried that, that to the degree we're emphasizing leadership, we might be slipping from sort of that primitive spirit dependence that was originally the reason we're here in the first place. And a friend of mine, Chuck Miller, who's done a lot in the spiritual formation area at Fuller Seminary, I used to use his discipleship materials when I was a campus pastor at the University of Minnesota. Got to know Chuck later in my life. And he, in his book, uh, The Spiritual Transformation of Leaders, he has a really interesting paragraph. He said, it's like we've created two rooms in the church. One is like the soul room. It has a vocabulary all its own. It has conferences all its own. And then the other is the leadership room. And it, in turn, has its own conferences and its own vocabulary. And he said, we have in the church tended to put more mystical people in the soul room and more type A people in the leadership room. And subtly the church has been forcing leaders to choose which room they are in when that is an artificial and unbiblical choice. Really, the soul room and the leadership room need to be one room. They they involve one's more intuitive than the other, perhaps one's more alone with God and other kinds of dynamics than the leadership, which happens to happen among people. But my passion is to see spirituality and leadership reintegrated again, Um, because it is possible to draw crowds. It's possible to lead organizations and not need the Holy Spirit at all. Then we're getting away from God's design for us as a church. And my leadership can't deliver a drug addict. My leadership can't bring a hardened atheist to Christ. 
It's got to be the work of the Holy Spirit. And my leadership, you know, doesn't even necessarily mean I love people, which is at the heart of what the kingdom of God is all about. And the spiritual part brings us to more that authentic, organic vision of the kingdom of God and the life of the church, rather than leadership only leaves us more corporate. So you've got this whole discussion going on the last 20 years, like, like, is a CEO a shepherd? Can a shepherd also be a CEO? That's like the soul room and the, and the leadership room. And I just think there's a way of integrating them. I'm still figuring it out. I'm grateful to be back in the pastoral role to try to, at an, in a new way, live this out myself and figure it out. Yeah, well, it resonates with me because I'm a I'm a 30-something senior pastor of small church uh, who's kind of come into ministry in this era. And it has very much felt like for me over the last, you know, I've been in ministry now 15 years. It feels very much like there are these two paths and you sort of pick one based on personality traits or interests. And are you either – and you sort of alluded to um, its conferences and language. I think it, it, you were going quickly, but it's it's so much more, right? It's oh, the yeah. podcast. It's the books we listen to. I think you the can whole flesh thing. it out in the way we dress, the way we present ourselves publicly, that you can kind of belong to one of these. And finding what it looks like to integrate those two things um, – for me, I've I've struggled to find those models or those voices that help me figure out what that looks like. I, I very clearly have perceptions of the two camps, but what it looks like to integrate those things is hard to find. Um, do you see evidence? And I want to look at this from both sides. Um, so we'll start with evidence that um, of what it looks like when we de-emphasize spirituality and focus just on leadership. And then we'll follow that up. What does it look like if we just focus on spirituality and de-emphasize what it means to lead, but maybe start first with this impulse to be a leader and to sort of de-emphasize spirituality. Right. Um, Spiritual formation uh, becomes less of our passion. And yet if we're in pastoral leadership or in pastoral ministry roles, um, connecting people to God and to each other is what it's all about. Leadership can distract us with systems, motivation, which is good, but sometimes that gets degenerates into hype. Um, it can, I'm passionate about team building, but sometimes that, if you're just preoccupied with those things, it gets your eye off the ball. You know, what's, what's it all about as far as Jesus is concerned? It's encountering him, it's loving God and loving others, and then advancing the Great Commission. And I found leadership has an intoxication to it, but it doesn't focus me on those three things. How am I connected to God? How am I connecting to other people? And how am I advancing the king, the gospel around the world? So um, it, it begins to exist as its own entity that brings exhilaration, intellectual stimulation, and some level of interaction with other people but it puts a lot of pressure on you. So I think the more the more you put an appropriate emphasis on leadership, the more pressure you are feeling personally uh, because the spirit dependence isn't there and the more off the mark of why we're really here. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if people are that impressed anymore with big production, corporate church. I mean, from what I can tell, like we have a lot of college kids coming to Central right now and, you know, and, and, and we're not hyped and we're not, 
we try to do what we do with excellence, but but we're very much trying to move away from a spectator observer model. But they'll say we we like the authenticity of what's happening, like like we're really here with our eyes on the right thing. And I think leadership has gotten our eyes off the right thing, just making sure people are really encountering God and really really building community with each other and and we're advancing the mission. I mean, leadership's needed to pull all that off, but it's it leadership is not the end. And and that's leadership becomes its own preoccupation and its own end. And um, so I, I worry about that. And it puts a lot of emphasis on what we do. That's why the pressure is there. That's why we become less spirit dependent. Yeah, it seems like one of these good things, necessary things. I mean, right. one way or another, somebody is leading, leadership is happening, but it can become an ultimate thing, like you're saying, an end to itself. It reminds me of um, one of my favorite passages in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, is where he talks, he actually uses sort of within the the leadership world, a kind of shocking phrase where he says that God hates visionary dreaming. But then he goes on to explain that it makes the it makes the leader proud because uh, when the fulfillment of their vision doesn't come true, they end up becoming the judge of their brethren, so the congregation, and then of God himself. Why haven't you answered prayers? And then ultimately, Bonhoeffer says that they become the judge of themselves, right. that ultimately we feel like we are the failure. We're, and I think anybody who has anybody who has tried to lead, I think inevitably has felt those feelings to some degree, that something has, has whether it's the congregation whether it's god whether it's ultimately me something has that pressure has led us to believe something has failed us right but the right. flip side of this that i think so helpful in what you do is it's not to say therefore we should abandon all thoughts about leadership and all thoughts about systems right. and all thoughts about improvement and we should just be spiritual people right exactly. um but you talk about spiritual leaders so what are the what are the also dangers on the other side of saying Leadership has failed me, therefore I'm just going to give no attention to it, and I'm just going to be, to put it in quotes, a sort of spiritual person instead yeah. of a leader. Yeah. Then you're abdicating stewardship. So one of my favorite verses on leadership when it comes to integrating spirituality with leadership is Psalm, you know, Proverbs 2131. The horse is prepared for battle, but victory comes from the Lord. So if you're, if you're going to just be passive and say, we're going to go into this battle. We're not going to do our part to prepare the horse. We're not going to get ready. We're not going to make sure all the right people are aligned, which is the leadership task. Um, but we're just going to, you know, trust victory comes from, it doesn't come, victory usually doesn't come in a vacuum. It's usually that marriage of our stewardship and God's spirit. It's the horse is prepared for battle. But even at the best of that, which which is the limitation of leadership, it's not enough unless God acts. And so the spirituality side recovers that sense that at our best, it's not enough. We're just totally dependent on what God can do. I mean, I just need his presence. I just need him doing more than than what my actions can humanly account for. I mean, we just need him doing things we can't account for humanly. That's the spiritual dimension. But it is, it is chaotic to and unbiblical to just say, well, we're just going to let the spirit lead us. And, you know, we're not going to lead and everything. I mean, Timothy's, Timothy trying to oversee the chaos in the Ephesian church, you know, Paul has to write him twice. You know, and he's saying you need to get some things in line. You got to start appointing different kinds of leaders, and 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 uh, 
it clearly organizational structure already was there in the first century church elders and deacons and 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 systems for making sure that the right kind of widows were taken care of and that other families weren't taking advantage of the church when it should be their responsibility for some of these things i mean clearly paul's just just downloading all this stuff and he's not being overly mystical with timothy He's basically saying, here's stuff you got to get right. You got to be a leader, Timothy, here. You, you, you know, it's just some things need to be set right. And you need to take some people out of leadership, put other people in leadership, and you need to develop some systems to make sure that things are done right. So you need systems. The engineer in me won't let systems die, right? I love systems, actually. I just worry when they become the end all. Yeah. Were there personal experiences in how you developed as a pastor that sort of led you to this distinction? So we've talked sort of generally speaking about how the church has evolved and how the interest in leadership has sort of happened historically. But personally, were there times where you recognized this is what it looks like to integrate these things and this is why it's important for me to not let myself personally just slip into one emphasis or the other? Yeah, I I learned all of that in grad school uh, at the University of Minnesota when I was studying engineering. And I I became the leader of this uh, Bible study about 12, shrunk down to three. And one of the other two guys sat in my dorm room. I was just about to get my bachelor's degree, and I decided to stay at the University of Minnesota for grad school. And he said, maybe we should pray and fast. You know, the, But God did something very, in spite of the predictability of that, God did something very profound in my heart. When my friend Steve looked me in the eye and said, maybe we should pray and fast, it's like God gripped my heart. I became desperately hungry for God like I'd never had in my life. As a 21-year-old kid, God just ruined me inside. And all he said was, maybe we should pray and fast. And it set me on a journey for three months of being desperately hungry for God. Sometimes all I could do is lie on the floor and just groan. I mean, just almost travail. It was just the most unusual experience. And I, I look back and say, I'm glad that I failed as a leader. So that I could, I could start majoring on the most important thing. And that's what God does in spite of our best. My best wasn't good, and I'd never led a thing in my life, and it failed. And the breakthrough didn't come immediately, but it was literally a year and a half later, at a time of the school year when nothing usually big happens in a campus ministry. And I walked in, instead of there was three or 12 even, there were 65 students, and our spiritual DNA transformed overnight. I have no human way of explaining what happened on that Tuesday night back in 1975. But um, I could draw a straight line to what I'm doing now from that night. And it was nothing I could explain humanly. I don't know how all those students heard about us that week. I don't know how they came. I didn't invite anybody. I don't know how God's spirit fell the way it did that night. And so that... That's where my kind of really primary primitive passion came from. We then grew up to 100. I was still in grad school, and I was in my laboratory where we had our experimental equipment set up, and I was I was just working. I was taking measurements and everything, and I just felt overwhelmed with the reality that we needed to start putting some structure to this ministry, and I needed to start raising up small group leaders. We need to subdivide the group. I need to start investing more of my time, not just in needy students who would come in to see me all day, but I needed to start investing my time in healthy leaders 
healthy people who normally wouldn't pick up the phone and call me or drop by because they had a need or they're going through a crisis with their parents or something. Um, I needed to start equipping healthy, spiritually mature students to reproduce themselves. And that started my leadership journey then. So we had the spiritual breakthrough first and then the leadership journey to steward the fruit of that so that people could start reproducing themselves spiritually. Well, I think there are probably some listeners who are saying, I love the sound of this. Like, wouldn't it be nice to be a fully integrated leader and be spiritual and to have, be able to be profoundly deep in things of God and also really capable when it comes to systems and organizations? But some will say, and this is, I think, as much as the leadership emphasis, there's a huge emphasis right now on personality traits. And whether it's my strengths assessment or my Enneagram, some will say, like, I'm just not wired to be spiritual or I'm not wired to be a leader, that my personality traits just bias me towards one of these. So shouldn't I Shouldn't I be that kind of leader? Shouldn't I be that kind of spiritual pastor? Um, what is the role of personality? And are there times that this calling to ministry, to pastor in this spiritual leader kind of way, have even forced you out of some of your own personality types that might not have led you there naturally? Right, yeah. Well, I was shy, introverted, and now I'm doing everything that's the opposite of that. And I just have to be careful because what pastoral ministry demands of me versus what I am probably at the core um, don't line up exactly. And that's part of as recently as this week. Um, I still work through how I really depend on the Lord to do what I'm doing, even when it's not fully a match for what I am at the core. And, um, but if I do too much of what I'm not at the core, it, it exhausts me faster. So that's where, where you've just got to be a little bit careful. But I've found I've had to, you know, if you're a leader, you need to learn how to communicate. There's no, if you're a leader, you need to learn how to communicate. And no matter what your personality temperament, that's the one thing you've got to learn how to do. You've got to learn how to engage people. You've got to learn how to speak to groups. I mean, that's just a pretty core leadership competency. And so and that that sometimes isn't consistent with some personality types, but it doesn't mean you can't still learn to at least some level of effectiveness be a communicator. You got to know how to get out of yourself and communicate because you're going somewhere. And as a leader, you want to take people with you. However, no matter what personality type you are, this is another pet peeve with uh, an overemphasis on leadership. No matter what personality type you are, the Bible doesn't talk much about leaders, but it talks about servants. And that's the heart of it. And there's whole new studies taking place right now in the corporate world on followership. And I think we underestimate followership. You know, the fact is, just be a servant. Get up every day. Say, God, I want you to use me wherever I am. I'm going to be your person wherever I am. And, uh, you know, forget about being a leader. Just be a servant, let God use you, and let one thing lead to another. Yeah, and there's a sense of, out of that desire to serve, that the leadership things I need for this moment can come out of that desire to be a better servant. Exactly. Rather than to fulfill some abstract image of a leader. Exactly. That I sort of learn those things and apply those things as I need them as a way to be a better servant of the people yeah. God's put in front of me. Yeah, this has to happen more organically than those images we have out there that sometimes are very inconsistent with how God's designed us. Yeah, and I think they leave so many people out of who God could exactly. use that somehow think they can't be used because they don't fit that image of what a church leader is supposed to be. Exactly. 
Um, for people who are maybe thinking, okay, this is a journey I want to begin on. I think the books of fun, your books, a phenomenal place. It brings up these topics of not just leadership, but followership leads so others can follow and the value of being a servant kind of leader, something we're going to explore some more. Um, but in a world where you feel like the models are one of these two, or you're constantly pushed into these camps, how does a person take a first step? What does the first step even look like to say, I want to figure out what it means to integrate those two things instead of just sort of overemphasizing one or the other. Mm -hmm. I think it makes you make two foundational decisions deep inside. And I can't prescribe the exact next step for everybody, but you start with two profound decisions you make in agreement with God's word. Number one, um, God's called me to be a person of influence. And number two, God's given me his spirit or he's, he's wanting to give me his spirit to whatever degree I'm hungry for him. And if you, if, if you start that way saying, God, as I go into a day to day, you know, leadership is influence, right? So you don't need a position or a title to be influenced. So you start there. You say, Lord, help me to affect this the emotional and spiritual climate relational climate, wherever I am today, whatever staff meeting I'm in today, whatever conversation with an individual, help me not to take the colors on of my environment. Help me not just to yield to my environment, but help me to some way change and add value to my environment. So you, that mindset every day is kind of the leadership mindset. And you integrate the spiritual in with that by saying, God, I, in many ways, I have no idea everything I'll be facing today or even every interruption I might experience today, but it might be your moment for me to be your person right there. And Lord, would you just fill me with the Holy Spirit? And also, I, I think just staying hungry for God, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, I think is the most important prayer I pray, you know, even more than praying for others. It's like, I know I have to be God's person wherever I am. And so you start with deciding to be an influence. That's the leadership side and being hungry to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the spiritual side. That's, that's the way it's happened with me, you know, and, and that's translatable for me into every day. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good place for us to be able to just uh, close out with prayers to say, um, God, make it clear to us how you're calling us to serve. What does this opportunity mm -hmm. for service look like? And would you allow us to do it through this power of the Holy Spirit that's a hunger for God, uh, the Spirit yeah. fulfilling that desire for us to be better servants for His glory, for His satisfaction, our enjoyment of Him? Would you be willing to lead us in that prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. You haven't called us to, you have called us to enjoy you, to walk with you, to know you. Thank you for the grace of Jesus that's taken our sin away and the resurrection and life of Christ that allows us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for Jesus' example. As he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life. I pray you give us all that heart. Lord, as important as our needs are, I pray that we'll take seriously how you want to use us to serve the needs of people around us. Pray, oh God, that you will fill us with your Spirit. Pray you'll put people on our heart that were to to influence. I pray you'll give us the gifts of your spirit, words of wisdom and faith and all of these things, Lord, that will help us to change the climate of every conversation and, and every moment of our lives. We just pray you'll use us. 
We pray you'll help us to serve. We pray you'll forgive us for idolizing, Lord, pictures of leadership that aren't really us. We just pray you'll just help us to serve. Help us to love people. Love through us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit. And help us to continue to develop the skills that allow us to communicate effectively with people and serve them well. We thank you for this. Thank you you want to use us. Thank you we're salt and light. May your influence be powerful through our lives. But may we do it in your strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed this conversation, uh, I know you would really enjoy Jim's podcast. We get into a lot of conversations like this one. Recently, we've been discussing all sorts of issues around the COVID crisis. And you can find that by just going to jimbradford.org. Of course, there'll be show notes and links included in those show notes. You can find those by going to pastorwriter.com slash 116. As always, wanted to say thanks so much for listening, for those who have taken the time to leave reviews, and especially if you've subscribed. There's many more conversations coming in the week ahead, some really good ones I'm looking forward to, and subscribing is the best way to know when those episodes are coming out. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.